Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's Eastern Christian Publications. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. Before we get any further into our program, and I do welcome all of you, I want to thank a listener who wrote to us. We love getting letters here at Light of the East. Very kind letters, especially. We'll take any kind of letter. <laughs> if you want to email us, probably the best email to use is taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor, like Mount Tabor, where Jesus appeared. Taborlife at earthlink.net. Otherwise, you can mail us at the address that's on our website. Website is byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And Barbara Brooks from the state of Washington did mail us a letter, not email, regular mail. And in it, she says, there is no Byzantine right church in the city where she lives. She doesn't live near one. So she looks forward to our program. She said, I look forward to your weekly radio program. It's a blessing to me. May our Lord sprinkle in your heart the dew of his graces. Well, that's very kind of you, Barbara. I'm very touched by that. Yes, I hope he does sprinkle in my heart and yours, all of ours, the dew of his graces. Very scripturally, very poetically put, Barbara. Thank you for your kind letter, your prayerful remembrance of us here at Light of the East. And again, we welcome all of you listening, and we welcome your comments, your letters. Give us a call or send an email or regular mail. Again, the website is byzantinecatholic.com, the email Taborlife at earthlink.net. Taborlife at earthlink.net. There is in our culture a number of things that are missing or need to be revisited or renewed. And because these things are missing or they need to be renewed, our culture, in other words, our way of life, our society, is not as well off. And sometimes the things that, well, actually, not only sometimes, but all the time, actually, the things that our culture needs to learn or to renew, to rediscover, are found in church. They're found in the liturgy, the prayer of the church. And one of those things that is missing in our culture is what I'm going to call the spirituality of preparation. And this has to do with a basic rhythm of life. We've spoken about it here on Light of the East before, but this particular rhythm of life 
certainly warrants being repeated and mentioned on our program. Because preparation is part of that rhythm. Think of the rhythm as a bell curve. Bell curve meaning something rises up and then it reaches a peak, a climatic moment, and then it gradually moves out or downward. So think of it as a bell curve or the letter S turned so it's like a bell, like a hill. Like you're going up a hill, there's the peak, and you come down the hill. But it's gradual. It's not sudden. It's gradual. So there's a movement, a rhythm, and this is a basic rhythm of life. You see it in everything. You see it actually in music. You see it in art. You see it in nature. And you should see it in our daily lives. We certainly see it in liturgy. And the first part of that bell curve is what I'm going to call the spirituality of preparation. In other words, we just don't jump into things, anything, let alone liturgy or prayer. Because liturgy and our prayer is like a relationship. That's what it's all about. It's about a relationship with God. It's about intimacy with God. And how do we, how do we enjoy intimacy or relationships with anybody? Do we just kind of plow into things? Isn't there a rising action, a climatic moment of a relationship, and then a kind of a coming out of it? In other words, don't we meet somebody, introduce ourselves, do a little bit of small talk, talk about things that aren't too heavy or controversial at first, and as we kind of feel each other out, as the time goes on, if we're with each other long enough, we begin to talk about greater things, more important things, and sometimes we get into a conversation that's really very, very rich. We find out that we really have a lot in common with this person, really enjoyed being with them and conversing with them. So what do we do? We say, hey, we'll have to get together again, right? We shake hands, we say goodbye, maybe exchange emails or contact information and so on. So that's that bell curve I'm talking about, and it happens with relationships, but we move into it. You're just to walk up to somebody and start talking about heavy subjects right away, correct? You know what I mean. Or you don't talk about them personally or show yourself real personally all of a sudden with someone you don't know. You have to move into that kind of relating and then to move out of it in a meaningful way. This is how it is in liturgy. This is a basic rhythm of life. We see all answers, all rhythms of life, Context for everything in the liturgy of the church, the prayer of the church. That's why it's so essential to be in liturgy, to be at church, whether it's the eastern lung of the church or the western lung of the church. We all follow this rhythm. It's basic to all of life. The preparation for going to church, let's say for the weekend, especially Sunday, the preparation for that actually, well, actually begins all week long. We should be God-conscious, conscious of the liturgical calendar, conscious of the feast days, the season of the liturgical year. We should be conscious that there is a Sunday we're going to look forward to, a weekend, that we're going to go and be with God in a very intimate way and with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Eucharist. There should be a consciousness throughout the week of what's coming up the following Sunday. As we get closer to that Sunday— This is especially on Saturday. I'm going to propose something that's going to probably sound very unusual, especially to our ears and our American Western culture. I'm not criticizing our culture. I'm just saying this might be a little bit foreign to our ears. In fact, I'm going to give you a little story from my own background. My grandfather was a priest because, as you know, if you're listening to this program for any length of time, married men can become priests in some of the Eastern churches. So my grandfather was a priest, and I grew up knowing him, but I also grew up hearing the stories of my father, who grew up being the son of a priest, son of a Byzantine Catholic priest. And he said that one of the things in their home, in their household, which was the rectory, but it was also a family, the family home, 
My dad said that on Saturday evening, there was a kind of a winding down, and there was a putting on what I'll call the liturgical or Sunday game face. In other words, there was no going out. There was no partying and dating and so on. Things were quieting down. There was a sense of reverence and of liturgy and of quiet, of prayer already happening on Saturday evening. And this is especially true when there was the Saturday evening prayer of the church called Vespers. The rhythm of liturgy on the weekend, especially in the Eastern churches, is Saturday evening. It begins, actually, with the evening service called Vespers. Then on Sunday, of course, we have the morning prayer called Matins, which moves into liturgy. That's the climactic point. And then we move out of liturgy with agape, after liturgy, you know, those little gatherings with refreshments with the community. And then there should be prayer in the evening once again. Technically, there would be vespers on Sunday evening. So again, there's this rhythm. Well, in my father's family growing up, because he grew up, of course, in a priest's family, they began this rhythm in earnest on Saturday evening after the vesper service. And I have to admit, as a priest who celebrates vespers on Saturday evening as part of the proper prayer in the Byzantine church, after vespers, I really don't feel like doing a whole lot after that. In other words, in terms of, wow, it's Saturday night, it's the weekend, let's go party, let's go have fun. I do some things, but most of the time I have a sense, a sense comes over me after praying the Vespers that the sun is setting, the next day is beginning, it's time to think and focus and just get our heart, our soul, our minds focused on the climactic moment that will come the next morning in the Eucharist. There's something very natural about that that happens after Vespers on Saturday evening. So I actually, not only do I live this rhythm, mostly because I'm a priest and I'm obligated to, but I actually feel it, actually experience it, actually experience that sense of, okay, we're moving into a very special time now. It's time to wind down, focus, be open, and put on our liturgical game face. I'll put it that way. So our focus is on the holiness that's setting in, in a special way, on the weekend, coming, as I said, to that climactic moment in the liturgy on Sunday. Now, for priests, we have some additional preparations. And in fact, in our liturgical books, we have what's called rubrics. And rubric actually means red. They're the rules, (laughs) the instructions, and they're written in red. That's a great tradition in the church. The text is written in black. So in the priest's book that he uses for the liturgy, the red, the rubrics, says this right at the beginning, before liturgy even starts. says, the priest who intends to celebrate the divine mystery should be reconciled, first of all, with everyone and have no animosity toward anyone. To the best of his ability, he must keep his heart free from evil thoughts. He must abstain from food and drink in accordance with the ecclesiastical legislation until his priestly function. When that time has come, he goes into the church where the deacon joins him, and together they make three bows toward the east before the holy doors. That's the doors, the icon screen that's in Byzantine churches. Whenever priests can celebrate, only one of them shall perform the prothesis. Now that's the rite of preparation, which we'll get to a little bit later. The other concelebrants do not say this rite of preparation, but do say the prayers before the icon screen and the prayers of vesting. So we started on Saturday evening, actually before that, your whole week should be a preparation, but 
more so we'll start from Saturday evening. So we start with Saturday evening with the Vesper service. Things wind down. We keep a quiet evening, quiet, prayerful, studious, calm evening. Wake up the next day. We come into the church and the priest, as the rubric said, lays aside any kind of animosity and anger and so on. There's something else here that I didn't mention. It's not in these particular rubrics, but it is in the traditional rubrics of the Eastern churches. It applies to Mary clergy. It says, the best of his ability, he must keep his heart free from evil thoughts. He must abstain from food and drink. Well, they add one more thing in the traditional rubrics. He must abstain from having relations with his wife on the evening prior to celebrating the Eucharist. That's also part of the preparation for the priest. And you might wonder, why is that? Well, the reason for that is, there's actually a few reasons, but the most important reason is that through it all, even though a priest is married, there is an eschatological dimension to the priesthood, meaning the priesthood in and of itself points to the life beyond, our ultimate destiny. It makes present on earth what we will experience in heaven forever. And in heaven forever, our single focus will be God, our unity with Christ, the bridegroom, and us being the one bride together. Ultimately, God, of course, is number one. And so the priest abstains from relations with his wife as a way of living out this eschatological reality. And his wife lives it with him, of course. And that is a witness not only to himself and his family, his wife, but also it's a witness before God and as a witness to the community as well. That we are all, we are all together, collectively, the bride of Christ. And he is number one in our lives. And so we prepare ourselves to become one with him in a kind of a liturgical or mystical marital union. That's why he and his wife are asked to abstain from relations prior to the priest celebrating the Eucharist. We'll talk more about the spirituality of preparation when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. More to life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchek. 
The church has 2,000 years of wisdom to share on what it takes to live life gracefully. We're so overwhelmed by how much our faith has transformed our marriage and family especially. We want everyone to experience the incredible gift that the Catholic vision of life and love really is. More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. Weekdays, 10 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. We're talking about the spirituality of preparation, which is actually part of the basic rhythm of life and of liturgy, which I like to call the bell curve, the rising action, climactic moment, and the gradual falling action or moving out of something, only to return again. So it does cycle, but there has to be this rhythm. It's throughout all of life and certainly is in liturgy. So we're talking about the preparation right now of the priest, He prepares by having no animosity to people. He prepares by abstaining from certain things. And then he comes into the church to do his prayers. The specific prayers, he says, actually are said before the icon screen, which is that barrier between the sanctuary and the nave in Eastern churches, richly decorated with icons and having three doors on it. For those of you from the western lung of the church, if you're old enough, you may remember the communion rails that separated the sanctuary from the nave. Well, very similar thing in the Eastern churches, only it's much larger, more elaborate. It's called an icon screen. So he stands before that, and on that are the icons. So he's facing the icons. The icons are facing the priest. He bows three times, and he does a number of prayers, preparatory prayers, asking forgiveness. And then at one point he says this, Lord, stretch forth your hand from the height of your holy dwelling place and strengthen me for the service I'm about to offer you, that I may stand before your awesome altar without condemnation and perform the unbloody sacrifice. For yours is the power forever. Amen. So the priest prays a number of prayers, and it's particularly that one, which he prays for his own worthiness. Then he bows to the people, enters the sanctuary, and then he goes through a preparation by washing his hands and putting on his vestments. And for every item of his vestment, he actually says a prayer, which is from Scripture. For example, in the Latin rite, it would be known as the Elb. In the Byzantine church, it's known as the Stichirion. When he puts it on, he says this, My soul rejoices in the Lord, for he has clothed me with a robe of salvation. With a mantle of justice he has wrapped me, like a bridegroom adorned with a crown, like a bride bedecked with jewels. So there's that bride-bridegroom imagery, and that quote comes from Isaiah chapter 61. And then he puts on another item, which would be the stole, or we call it the epitrachial, and he says this, Now, you have to picture the action. He's putting something over top of his head and then putting it down onto his shoulders. Blessed be God who pours out his grace upon his priests like precious oil upon the head, running down upon Aaron's beard to the hem of his garment. So you see what we do? We take an action, a practical action of vesting, putting on each item of the vestments, and the priest then associates that through prayer with a verse from Scripture. So the scripture and the action of the priest are wedded together. And that's very typical of what we do in the church. We wed action with prayer. So there is a number of articles that he puts on 
for his vestments, and each one he does say a prayer, and it's a quote from the scripture. So we'll move on from there, because after that now, he's done his preparatory prayers. He's already prepared from the night before, done his preparatory prayers, done his prayers for the vestments, has vested himself. Then he goes to what's called the prothesis. That is, in Byzantine churches, a table which is in the sanctuary off to the left side, which would actually be what's called the north corner of the sanctuary, sort of northeast corner of the sanctuary. And he's going to do a whole rite of preparation of the gifts. He's going to take the gifts, the chalice and discos and water. He's going to cut the bread because in the Eastern churches we use leavened bread. We use a loaf of bread or sometimes five loaves, but it's leavened bread. So in order for it to be prepared for consecration distribution, it will have to be cut up into particles. And there's a certain way that that's done. And as always, for every action, there is a quote from Scripture. So the priest will say, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner, three times. Then he says, You have redeemed us from the curse of the law. With your precious blood nailed to the cross and pierced the lance, you have become a fountain of immortality for us. Glory to you, our Savior. Then what he does is he takes the bread, which is eleven bread, either it's one loaf or it could be five smaller loaves. He holds the bread in his left hand. With his right hand, he actually takes a lance and he thrusts it into the bread. Then he says, like a lamb led to slaughter. And then he cuts the left side of that bread. As you're looking at it, it'd be the left side. And like a sheep without blemish that is silent before the shearer, he opened not his mouth. And he cuts the right side. In his humiliation, judgment was taken against him. And he cuts then the upper side and the lower side. Who shall declare his generation? Then he takes that part he cut out and he extracts it from the center of the bread. And he says, for his life is taken from the earth. Then he puts that central piece of bread onto the discos. That will become the lamb. That will become the part that is consecrated. That's the main part consecrated, what we might know in the Latin rite as the host. But again, it's, think of it as a piece of leavened bread. So it's kind of a hunk of bread, but it's cut on four sides and extracted, and it's pierced with a lance. And again, all this is reminiscent of Scripture, how Christ was prepared to become that lamb of sacrifice on the cross. So we imitate that by preparing the bread. Then he'll take the rest of the bread and he'll cut it into particles. Looks something like little croutons, little square cubicle kind of particles. And he places it on the discos in a certain formation. He places one of them to the left, as you're looking at the bread, as you're looking at the discos, the left of what would be the host piece. That symbolizes the mother of God. To the right of the host piece, as you're looking at it, he places three rows of three pieces of bread that are cut. And each one of them commemorates a category of saints, prophets, angels, martyrs, um, charitable workers, and so on. All the different kinds of saints and holy people in a kind of a hierarchy. And he places those and mentions them, and he mentions the names and the hierarchies of these saints, and then he places the particle on the discos for each one. So there's going to be nine altogether, three rows of three. Then he takes the wine, pours it in the chalice, and pours a little water into the chalice and blesses that. That, of course, would become the blood of Christ. 
Now beneath the host on the discos, he then starts to place other rows of particles. And these are where we make the remembrance. We remember living people, the people we want to remember during the liturgy, or the people for whom the liturgy is being offered. He mentions them by name, he mentions them by name, and he takes a particle for each one and places it on a discos. Below that, then, he starts a row where he commemorates those who are deceased. Or, again, if the liturgy is being offered for the deceased, they are mentioned by name and a particle is put on the discos. He then covers the discos and the chalice with specific veils, says a prayer for each one, again coming from scripture, incenses the gifts, and then they are being made ready to become then the body and blood of Christ. So there's an entire rite of preparation just of the gifts themselves in the Byzantine church. There's much more to the spirituality of preparation, and we'll talk about that sometime in the future. But I do want to thank you for listening today. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab. And on iTunes, Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Willcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road. 
Homer Glen, Illinois, or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.